Today I have the privilege of giving the message, and I want to thank uh, Pastor Steve and Pastor Jose for their uh, leadership. I also want to thank God for the privilege I have to serve the congregation in this capacity. Uh, many hours go into a sermon Bible study when you're preparing, and uh, we shouldn't take that lightly as a teacher or even as a student. And a computer has many buttons on it to, uh, as I work through it. And as I work through my uh, sermon, I came up with the dash. The dash is what I call it, because God taking me away from where I'm used to being, down in the pews with you guys, and put me up in the stage, where it's not a place where I'm really, quote, comfortable. I do not have the talent of uh, the band that led us in worship. They are great, but I do have the ability to make a joyful noise. But I do have a lot to share. And what we're going to get into today is the dash. When I was working on my sermon, I had a situation happen to me. I had 14 hours worth of work into it. And uh, because I don't have the theological understanding that Pastor Steve has, or the ability with a computer that Pastor Mike has, I learned a few things. One of the things I learned while I was working on my sermon was, there's a thing called save, file save. And, and, I, and I saved the thing, but I always thought you had to do it at the end, you know, get the whole document done and everything else. So I had about five different windows opened up, uh, and I was going from internet back and forth, back and forth. And what I found out was that if you have too many windows open, computer freezes, and you lose everything. So I said, oh my goodness, and I told Steve last week that happened, he goes, oh no. And I said, God allowed that to happen for a reason. And I think that's part of what the sermon is about, is allowing something to happen that's unexpected, that we work hard at something and think we're going to get there, and then all of a sudden, what we thought we were working on, God changes. So what do you do? What do you do when you're working on something like that, and you lose it? The first thing you do is you give thanks to God, because all things work for good for those who love the Lord. So whether you're in a physical situation an emotional situation, or even a spiritual situation, God has a purpose for it, and he allows it to go through. So here it is. It's not coming together. I'm getting closer to D-Day, because I had told Nick LaPrell that I'd do the sermon on the 23rd. And so I go into panic mode, panic attack. I do what most people would do. They call one of their mentors. I call the pastor and say, guess what? God didn't allow me to get through, because I wanted to bail. I'm like, I can't do this. I can't do this. But the reality is you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. And so I lived my dash through that situation. Now, so far, I've told you that the name of the sermon is Your Dash, and I talk about living my dash. So I want to go a little bit further into it. This is actually uh, where my father, my mom, and my two brothers are buried. And uh, when I think of my dash, I think of a poem that I read, and I'm going to read it to you. Because poetry, like music, has a way of going past the mind and right into the heart. So 
here's my, uh, the poem that means a lot to me. I read of a man who stood to speak at the funeral of a friend. He referred to the dates on the tombstone from the beginning to the end. He noted the first came the date of birth and spoke the following date with tears. But he said what mattered most of all was the dash between those years. For the dash represents all the time that we spent here on earth. And now only those who love them know what that little line is worth. For it matters not how much we own, the cars, the house, the cash. What matters is how we lived and loved and how we spent our dash. So think about this long and hard. Are there things you'd like to change? For you never know how much time is left that still can be rearranged. If we could just slow down enough and consider what is true and real and always try to understand the way people feel and be less quick to anger and slow and show appreciation more and love the people in our lives like we never loved before. If we treat each other with respect and more often wear a smile, remembering that their special death might only last you a little while. So when your eulogy is being read, with your life actions to rehash, would you be proud of the things they say about how you spent your dash? That is a reality for me in more than one way. I had two people in my life who have really helped me formate my dash. One was my father. And my father was an undertaker, also known as a funeral director. So I spent a lot of times in cemeteries like that assisting people who were grieving. My dad was awesome in so many ways, but one way he was awesome is he loved God. Matter of fact, he and I would talk about God even after I moved to Arizona and he was still in New York. And we'd speak about God for hours. And what I found from my dad was there's different responsibilities or different responses that we get from different people. So one day I was talking with dad and I said to dad, he said something that I agreed with and I said, amen. And then dad all of a sudden changed the topic. I said, Dad, what's up? He goes, you said amen. I said, well, do you know what it means? He goes, well, I know what it means to your brothers. If your brothers say it means enough of that, there's God, let's get on to something else. I said, well, to me, what the Bible says is it means that I'm in agreement with what you're saying. So therefore, continue on. If I ever say amen, continue on where you're going because God is working through you and helping me get where I need to be. The other person who helped me in my relationship has a tomb, but he doesn't have a tombstone. It doesn't have the date of his birth on it, or the dash, or the date of his death. That is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ became my savior. As a matter of fact, I always tease my wife, and she hates it because she's a native of Tucson, and I'm from New York. I said that God had to bring me to the desert before he can bring me to the promised land. And so I have grown more here in this desert learning about the Lord than I had when I was in New York by the water. And yet, it's been a joy. It's been a privilege and an honor. So we're going to go into the book of Luke, chapter 6. And we're going to go through 6 through 11. On another Sabbath, he, Jesus, went into the synagogue and was teaching. And a man whose right hand was shriveled, One too many. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus. So they watched him closely to see if he would heal on the Sabbath. 
But Jesus knew what they were thinking and said to the man with the shriveled hand, Get up. Stand in front of everyone. So he stood there, got up and stood there. And Jesus said to them, I ask you, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save a life or to destroy it? He looked around at them all and said to the man, Stretch out your hand. And he did so, and his hand was completely restored. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were so furious, they began to discuss with one another what they might do with Jesus. Now, that's a small part in the story, and it has to do with Jesus living his dash. His dash, he was living the life that the Lord, the Father, has given to him. And I'm going to go a little bit further. We're going to go, this story is also in the book of Mark, chapter 3, and I'm going to go through verses 5 and 6 just to give us a little bit more understanding of what they meant when they discussed with one another what they might do with Jesus. Mark chapter uh, 3, verse 5. And he looked at them in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts, and he said to them, Stretch out your hand, and they stretched it out, and his hand was completely restored. Then the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. We have a story of a man who's at the synagogue. There's three people who are at that, three types of people who are at that synagogue. You have people there who are looking for an encounter with God. You have people there who maybe want to resist God or even confront God. And then you have another group of people, and we'll get to that in a moment. But if we get into the first type, the man with a physical problem, withered hand, yet he came to worship God. Anytime we show up at church, there's always that great possibility that God will change our life. Whether you need a physical or emotional or spiritual healing, God can change it. Jesus did come to heal people, but he also came to meet a greater need, the need of those who are lost. They would often heal their afflictions to meet their deepest need. Have you ever left church and have said the words, I really didn't get anything from that service today. But sometimes we don't get anything because we didn't bring anything. What do I mean by that? Well, there's an old-time way the preachers used to say it this way. If you're going to get water from a spring, you need to bring a bucket. The problem that we have, do we have our ears open to hear the word of God? Is our heart open to receive the word of God? And if we receive the word of God, are we willing to do the word of God? Most of us live this life as human beings. Instead of being who God wants us to be, we're human doings. We're doing this, we're doing that. We're so wrapped up in this world that we lose track of why God might have put us here for. Like the man with the shriveled hand, we have a problem and God can take care of that. But there are times where other people, when they come to church, they bring a sieve and they don't let anything. Or even other times, people come to church and don't even bring a cup. They don't have the attitude of what God wants them to do. If we go into the book of Matthew, chapter 11, 27 through 29, it says, all things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and those whom the Son chooses to reveal. God is willing to reveal to us the Father, but we have to go to the Father through the Son. He also said, come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I'll give you rest. This speaks of how Jesus lives his, 
lived his dash. He invited us to come to him. He wants to take our hurts. Whether we have spiritual bankruptcy or we're stubborn, we can overcome if we're willing to learn from Jesus. The next group of people who were at the, the synagogue were the Pharisees. Now, at the time of Jesus, there were certain groups of Pharisees and the Herodians and Sadducees. And they held positions of authority and power over the people. Other groups were the Sanhedrin, the scribes, and the lawyers. And each of these groups held power, either in religious or politically. And most scholars believe that the Herodians supported King Herod Antipas. The Roman Empire's rule looks over the land of the Jews between 4 BC and 39 AD. The Herodians, they favored submitting to the Herods and therefore Rome for political expediency. This support of Herod compromised Jewish independence in the minds of the Pharisees, making it difficult for the Herodians and the Pharisees to unite and agree on anything. But one thing they did agree on was they had to get rid of Jesus. Now one may think that the only people who come to the church are those who are seeking an encounter with God. But there's some people who go to church because the parents made them or just a, a traditional thing that they do, or something that they feel like they have to do. They're not looking for that encounter with God, yet God wants to have an encounter with them. And so sometimes it's hard for us to see where God is working because we don't always display what God is trying to teach us. They care more about maybe how the worship music is, or what songs were played, or which way it should have gone. Maybe they're critical, maybe they're picking on something because they have a part of their own life that's missing and so they go after the people who are serving. God wants to have a uh, time in your life. Matthew eleven twenty nine. Jesus said, take my yoke upon you and learn from me and I'm gentle and humble in heart and you'll find rest for your souls. God wants to give you that rest. Even though right now I'm nervous and I'm struggling, I'm at peace. Because the Lord God is in control. As a matter of fact, even if I was to goof up and blow it big, I still know that all things work for good for those who love the Lord. And God will use my attempt, whether some people say great or bad. God knows the heart, and my heart is to serve him in this capacity. The third group of people that were at the synagogue that day, is those who represent God. Now we have lots of people who represent God here. The worship team that uh, played up here did a great job of representing God and praising him and giving a prayer request. Jesus came to carry out the will of the Father, to seek that which was lost. Jesus came and made a difference in, the, in those who were distressed and hurting. Jesus came that day, and even today, to meet the needs of hurting people. There's no need that God can't help you with. God cares and loves you so very much that he sent his only son to meet those needs. And we do have many people besides the worship team who are here. We have people who welcome you at the door. We have people who teach your children in the, in the classes. We have people who pray for you. And we have people who are willing to help you with your dash. I have two favorite questions that I like to ask 
and I learned them a long time ago as a believer. The first one is this. If you were to die today, do you know for certain that you're going to heaven? Everyone should be able to answer that question. The second one is like it, but a little bit different, and I always say, not that I want this to happen, but if you were to die today, and you went to heaven, and God met you at the gate, and said, why should I let you in, what would you say? Now, over the years, I've gotten many different responses to those questions. Some would say, hey, I'm a good person. Other people say, I'm relying on what God's done for me. Other people are saying, well, my good works outweigh my bad works, or even this one. I've never murdered anybody. Except they don't understand the full dash that God's given us, which is the word of God, which gives us Jesus' life and how it can impact ours. And yet many people don't look for that. They don't look for that impact. It goes back to, are you, do you have a heart that's open to listen? Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to the Father but through me. I have had that conversation with many people. As I think about my dash, as you think about your dash, if we make a, a cross deck of it, it would look something like this. The D, do you live for God? That is what I would say. Do you live for God? Doing what God has called you to do. Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I now live in this body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself up for me. The second one would be the attitude of mindset. Do we have, with all the blessings that God has given us, we should take the heart, we should have a heart for the people and a heart for putting God's plan ahead of our own. In Philippians 2, 5 through 8, it says, in your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Jesus Christ, who being of the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking on the very nature of a servant and being the maid in the human likeness. And being found in the appearance of man, he humbled himself becoming obedient to death. Even death on the cross. The last on this section here is service. We were called to be servants of God. And God has given us the Holy Spirit. He's our comforter, our helper, our teacher, who helps those to be a servant and accomplishes God's will on earth. It was a time when uh, the mother of the Zebedee sons went up to Jesus and asked a request that her sons would sit on the right and left, and the other disciples got upset. And Jesus gave this response. He said, Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be a servant, and whoever wants to be first must be a slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to serve, but to not to come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many. And then last, honor God. If we live for God, if we have the right attitude and right service, we'll bring honor to, to God. In the book of John, chapter 5, verses 22 through 24, it says, Moreover, the Father judges no one, but has entrusted 
all judgment to the Son, and that he may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Verily, verily, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes in him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged, but crosses over from death to life. There are many reasons why we've been born. To live out your dash. If we live out our dash without God in our lives, we'll have no eternal value. Do you trust what God did for you, or are you trusting what you did for yourself? And do you have the attitude of Christ and willing to follow his commands? Are you there to serve yourself or serve others? Does your dash bring honor to the Father? I have another story that I read that really impacted my life. And it comes out of a book called You Were Born for This by Bruce Wilkinson. He is a great Bible teacher. I have friends of mine who say the only thing that they will read is the Word of God, and there's nothing wrong with that. That is a good thing to do. But I welcome always information that I get from whether it's a brother at a Bible study or reading. Uh, I do have a pastor who I used to work with who it's all his fault he got me into reading because he'd always hand me books to read and say, oh, have you read this one? Have you read that one? So, but this is about an event that happened, and I think it plays into the dash in a more modern way than what happened at the synagogue. So, at the event in my life illustrates a tiny but enormous difference. Some years ago, I was invited to speak to 80 men at a retreat. The evening of the event, I asked the person in charge, what would you like me to do if God shows up today? He seemed startled. What do you mean? I repeated my question. If the Lord moves and does something unusual, what do you want me to do? He gave it some thought. Well, it would be important if you bring things to a close in 30 minutes. He said, like we agreed. All right, I said. But if something does occur that might be unexpected, I'm going to look to you. And if you want me to end things, just grab your right ear, and I will close in prayer. He didn't seem pleased with my backup plan. I don't need to grab my ear, Dr. Wilkinson. Close in 30 minutes. Now, I confess at this point, I imagine God shaking his head with disappointment. You see, I wasn't there only because I'd been invited. Before I agreed to come, I had a strong sense that God had already sent me. And then as I prayed about what to say, I sensed that heaven might have something unusual in store. When the time came, the room full of men welcomed me warmly, and I launched into my message. No more than five minutes, I received a divine nudge. In a way, that was both unusual and impossible to ignore. My attention was directed to a man sitting four rows back on the left side of the center aisle. I decided to trust that nudge. In fact, to risk looking like a fool because of it. I stopped talking, and I walked down the aisle, and I introduced myself. The man's name was Owen. I sensed there's something going on in your life, I told him. Is there anything I can do for you? Well, of course, alarm was written all over Owen's face. No, he exclaimed. No, not at all. I'm really fine. Now, what do you do? In my case, you live your dash. In his case, he apologized, went to Owen, and got back up front. He's back at the podium. And you should know, audiences I speak to aren't accustomed to speakers who stop mid-sentence and walk into the crowd with point-blank personal question. 
And he says, I'm not accustomed to it either, for that matter. But some men in the room were eyeing me now that I might be dangerous. So once I collected my thoughts, I began again. But almost immediately, I felt another nudge from God. Same nudge, same man. This time, I debated with heaven. And my case was airtight. I just did that, Lord, and nothing happened. But the nudge was clear, go again. Now, have you ever had that point in life where you make a choice between everything visible, everything expected, everything sensible, and something invisible, something inaudible, something known only to you that you can't possibly defend, but you know in your heart it's the right thing to do? Well, when God nudged me again, I had one of those moments. My sentences stumbled and then stopped, and I decided to take another risk of faith. So I walked down, I picked up a chair in the front, carried it down the aisle, right next to Owen. I said, sir, please don't be offended. I said calmly, but you are not telling the truth. Now, Owen wore the same look of an alarm, but when he finally found his voice, he said, how on earth did you know? I don't know, really, I said, but God does, and he has something in mind for you tonight. A sense that something is deeply troubling you. Who would think pages would get stuck together? There we go. All right. The truth is, I'm quitting the ministry tonight, Owen said soberly. I called my wife this afternoon and told her my decision. Right after your session tonight, I am done. Well, we certainly had everybody's attention now. Would you mind sharing me why you're quitting, I asked Owen. Haltingly, Owen told the story. He had been a successful businessman, and when he felt called by God to work with men, he'd given up his business to put his heart and soul into that ministry. Financially, though, nothing had gone as expected. My wife and I had gone broke trying to keep this thing afloat, he said. We love what we do, but we have lost our savings, our retirement. I've remortgaged my house. My credit cards are maxed out. On top of all that, I owe $16,000 in debt. Owen was struggling to talk now. I've had enough, he said quietly. After tonight, I quit. Every man in the room could identify with Owen's painful dilemma. If God wanted him to stay in the ministry, why were the circumstances so impossible for him and his family? And I said it as much to Owen. I told him that my wife and I have experienced the same thing numerous times. And then I said, I only have one question for you. When you changed course and launched your ministry, was that a career move on your part? Or would you say it was a response to a divine call? See, God called us, he said. I have no doubt. Okay. Would you say that God is calling you out of the ministry? Is he asking you to leave? No. Are you sure you want to leave? Well, I have to. I'm up to my ears and dead. I have to quit. How am I supposed to do this? I understand. But has God actually to leave? There's a long pause of silence. No. At this point, the little drama played out, and other men list listened. And I've forgotten the guy in charge who didn't want to have his ear pulled on to get my attention. What are you going to do? I asked Owen. And then God's spirit moved in that room, and a noticeable awareness of his presence was among us in peace and power. Many in the audience were struggling with their emotions. Owen's eyes was filled with tears, and with great effort he said, I shouldn't quit unless I ask, unless he asked me to. I wanted to test his resolve. I said, what about the $16,000 of debt? No, I won't quit, he decided. We shook hands on his decision, and then the audience gathered around to pray for him. Scores of men surrounded him. They poured out their hearts in prayer for Owen. And then we all listened and as he prayed an emotional, humble prayer, recommitting himself to his calling. Men were 
beginning, men were beginning to filter back in their seats when someone spoke up. It's not right. It was the man in charge. This man is $16 in debt. My wife and I are going to give him $1,000. What are you going to do? He looked around the room, and then he looked at me. What are you going to do? You're the speaker. I didn't say anything while we were contemplating his challenge. And then without word, the men started to open their wallets. One by one, they walked over to Owen with their gifts. I did too. In no time at all, Owen had $16,000. Owen was speechless, awestruck by what God had done before all of us, and we were grateful to have been part of it. What an unforgettable experience. To have been there would have been awesome, I would think, to see the work of God working. God does a lot of work that you can see the impact that it has. Some of the work takes time for us to see the impact. It doesn't come moment like flash. As a matter of fact, uh, in one of the verses that we were talking about in the Bible study, where God is faithful to complete that work that he began in you, that is one of the ones that I hang on to because I'm still a work in progress. I have not arrived, and I won't arrive until I'm up in heaven. Which brings me to my next slide. This is a slide that I look at from time to time. Uh, the main reason why we're born, and the main one, is to live our dash. I have, uh, if we live out our dash with, that, with our life with God, we'll make a difference. Today we saw one little part of Christ living his dash. He made a difference in the life of the disciples, a difference in those who witnessed the miracle and, of course, the one he healed that day. Today, Jesus works through us if we're willing to live for God. We must have the right attitude, the right approach to living our dash. Jesus didn't come to be served, but set the example to serve. Honor God with your dash in this life, and you'll be thankful for your whole eternity. On the screen is the tombstone of my two brothers, Angel. He was born in January 1958. He only lived one day. The second is my brother, Joseph, who is my identical twin. When I was born, I was supposed to be one big healthy baby. I ended up being premature identical twins. I weighed two and a half pounds I could fit in the hand of my father. The doctors came to my dad and said that neither one of us would survive because that was in 1960. In 1960, they didn't have the medical technology to help the uh, preemies, as they call us. So my dad did the only thing that he could do. He lived his dash. He went down to the chapel and prayed to God and said, God, let me keep one of them, because he already lost my older brother as an infant. He prayed that prayer. The next day my brother died, I am still physically here today, an answer to a prayer by my dad. He had impact in my life, even besides what he taught me. He had impact because he prayed for me when I was an infant, and I couldn't even pray for myself. The same thing happens to us. We have the opportunity to make a difference in people's lives if we will live our dash, if we will do the will of God, if we will have the right attitude and mindset, if we will serve instead of being served. And if we do those first three, we will complete the fourth, which is honoring God. There's some stories there, and I like stories because it brings them to reality. God has a reality for all of us. 
He wants to change your life. If you do not know the Lord, he wants you to come to know him. If you know the Lord, he wants you to fill your dash, to live the life that he's called you to live, that only you can live. Sometimes the only Bible a person will read is not one of these, but your life. If you don't make a difference in the life of those who you come across, who God brings you across, the blood will be on your hands. I always will talk with people if they've given me the chance. I had a person, I'm an electrician by trade, that's what I do, and I had a go repair a ceiling fan for this gentleman, and I found out the reason why he canceled four appointments before I finally got to him was he had cancer. And so when I walked in the room to fix his fan, I said to him, I said, congratulations, I hear that you're cancer-free. He goes, yes, I am. I said, can I ask you a question? And he said, sure. I said, did that have any impact on your spiritual life? He said, nope. I didn't have one then, don't have one now. That was him closing the door, and the Holy Spirit told me that's as far as I could go. But at least I asked a question. I gave an opening to help him with his situation, that if the Lord allowed me the opportunity, I'd be able to make a difference in his life and pray for him, if nothing else. So I'm going to close in prayer. If you will bow your heads with me. Heavenly Father, first of all, we thank you that Jesus lived his death, that he gave his life for us, that he died on the cross, that we might have eternal life with him if we're willing to accept him. And Lord, we pray that as we make a difference in this world, that you would move us where you want us to go and help us to be those doing those things that you want us to do. And now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling, and present you before his glorious presence without fault and great joy. To the only God, our Savior, be glory, majesty, power, and authority, through Jesus Christ our Lord, before all the ages, now and forever. Amen.